Well, good morning, Rocky Peak. <laughs> hey, it's great to be with you. Uh, my name is Pastor Michael. You may not recognize me without the suit and the turtleneck, but uh, hey, we believe in transformation, right? And so uh, you have seen that transformation in my life, my style. Uh, so great to be here with you. Uh, my name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors. If you're first time, want to welcome you, and what a great time for you to join us, because we can launch into a new season, celebrate 40 years looking back, looking forward. Those of you who are in the Ridge, want to welcome you in. Uh, glad you can be joining us. But we're going to go into our time of teaching right now. So inside our program is a message note sheet. So we've got a green and white message note sheet. I encourage you to take that out. And if you guys are ready to go, I'm ready to jump in. You guys ready to go? Okay, let's pray. God, we're just excited to be here and to be pursuing you and, and following you in this journey you have us on. God, we just pray that today will be the next step. As we launch a brand new series, as we launch into the future at this 40-year milestone, we pray that you'd be clear as we chart a course to our future, what the next steps are in this journey. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, our story starts today on the backside of the desert, and um, he's been here for a long time. And the sun is just coming up this morning as he comes outside, and the brisk wind hits his face, and in the distance, you can see the sun just starting to peek over the mountains, casting shadows in the valley below. It's a cold winter morning, and he's ready to launch out like he's done so many mornings before. And if you were to pull him aside that day and to ask him how he found himself here in the backside of the desert, uh, he would shake his head, and he'd begin to share a story. And the story that started almost with tragedy. He escaped danger very young. But then he fell kind of on his feet. He landed in a place where he was raised in an incredible family with all the perks and the power and the privilege and the position of his status. And uh, as he grew, he had incredible educational opportunities, a life in politics was in his future, things were looking great. And then came that fateful day. It was a day that he never saw coming, but it was a day that would change his life forever. As a result, as he looks back, his life is like a tale, not of two cities, but of two lives. There's a before and an after, like his own personal BCAD. And if you were talking to him on this day and asking about his prospects for the future, he'd say that they were very dim. There's no change in sight. But what he doesn't know is that by the end of this day, the first half and the second half of his life are going to collide in a completely unexpected way that's going to open the door to an incredible new future. Well, today we're kicking off this brand new series that we've been advertising now for several weeks called 40, Charting a Course to Transformation. And like I said in the intro, if you're new here at Rocky Peak, it's your very first time, you're a guest either here or over in the ridge, I just want to welcome you. I can't think of a better time to be joining us on the journey uh, the title for this series, 40, really comes from two different sources. Uh, the first and more obvious one is that we're at a, a major milestone as a church, that this summer we celebrated our 40-year anniversary, that 40 years ago in the summer of 77, there was a small group of visionary believers that trusted God, set out, had, didn't have a pastor, didn't have a place to call their own, but they, they sensed God calling them to launch a new church to reach this whole area, and they, they stepped out in faith, and they listened, they followed, and because of that, really, literally hundreds, thousands of lives have been changed. All our lives have been impacted. We're here today, 
And so part of the 40 goes back to, you know, to celebrate this milestone in our life, to look back and to look forward in the future. But the other reason that's not as obvious is that in the Bible, the number 40 is often a significant number. That if you've been a Christian any length of time, or you've read the Bible at all, or even if you're brand new at this, that chances are you've picked that up. Like, for example, today we started the story with this, this man on the backside of the desert going out on this cold winter morning. And you may or may not have recognized his story, but it's the story of a very famous man in the Bible. His name is Moses. And if you were to chart Moses' life, if you were to put it on a graph, if you were to write an epic novel, which is so much like his, his life looks like, almost, it starts almost like a fairy tale, that you'd break his life into three 40-year uh, segments. And each, each segment of this novel would have a lot of different chapters, of course, but the first, the first segment would be from zero to 40. And so most of you know that he was, he was born in Egypt at a time when it was illegal to have male babies born, and so they were all executed at birth. But he had a creative mother, a courageous mother, who put him in the papyrus basket, put him in the Nile, and he's discovered by this Egyptian princess. So he's raised with all the, the pomp and the privilege and the ceremony and the advantages of growing up at the high end of Egyptian culture and society. His trajectory is looking up. It's almost like a fairy tale life. And then at age 40 comes the end of section one as he goes out one day to an Egyptian work site where Hebrew, a Hebrew slave is being mistreated by an Egyptian manager. And he steps in to try to stop this. And in the process, he kills the Egyptian. So he tries to cover it up. But when it's discovered, he has to run for his life. So at the age of 40, he goes through a major life change. He goes to the backside of the, the desert of Midian. He becomes part of the family there. He meets a woman. They have married. They have children. And he moves from the life in the palace to life as a shepherd, a very poor man from everything that we would know for the next 40 years of his life. And then at age 40 is when we meet him. When this, this morning, as I told this story, we He's coming outside, out of his tent as the sun's coming over the mountains on that cold winter morning, going out to do what he's done the last 40 years. He's now 80 years old. And at 80 years old, he's going to meet the God of his ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob is going to appear to him in the burning bush. And once again, his life is going to change. And this is what we see in the Bible that the 40 often indicates a time of transition, a time of change, a major crossroads. We'll see it throughout the Bible. This week, if you're in a life group that's a, what we call a message-based life group, uh, that's based on, on the weekend message, what you study, you'll study another 40 in an example of a very famous prophet from the nation of Israel called Elijah. What we're going to see them throughout this series is 40s are time of transition, of change, of crossroads, and it can be for either good or evil. It's a, it's a pivotal turning point. And as I prepare for this series, I believe that God is calling us to a new future, that we are going through uh, an important transition as a church as we enter this 40-year uh, milestone. So during this series, we're going to be looking back, as we did today, on some of the key events and decisions that have shaped the life of this church over the last 40 years. You're going to be thinking through your life and key decisions that you've made that have shaped your life. But we're also going to be looking forward and asking the question, God, what are the next steps 
of this vision that you're releasing here at Rocky Peak. And so today we're going to be kicking this off with a section there in your note sheet that's called Back to the Future, Discovering Our Vision. And what I want to do today is I want to roll back the tape, go back 10 or 12 years to where Lynn and I first came to Rocky Peak and became part of the Rocky Peak story. And so if you, if you were to go back to 2005 and the winter when Lynn and I came, you know, we had grown up in San Diego, lived almost all of our life in San Diego County, and then we sensed God calling us up here to L.A. Now, you know this is supernatural because no one moves from San Diego to L.A. without the call of God on their life. <laughs> but when we came, we came to, uh, to Rocky Peak, it was just very clear, obviously clear, I mean crystal clear, to us, to the elders, to the church, God was calling us here. And, and so we came, and as we shared on the video, that this was, it had been a tumultuous time in the life of Rocky Peak, and they'd been without a pastor, a lead pastor, for about 18 months. And so um, as we came and we, we entered into that interview process, one of the questions that the search team and elders asked me, like you would normally do for a candidate to lead your church, is, if you were to come to Rocky Peak, what is your vision for the future? What's your vision for our church? And that was easy for me. I told them right flat out, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I told them, listen, I, I believe this with all my heart that God has a vision for every church. And if I come to Rocky Peak, my job is not to bring a vision. And then to ask God to bless it. If I come, our job is to seek God for his vision and then carry it out. And so we came and about two years into that journey, we really, since God was saying, it's time to seek me now. What's the vision, the values, the transitions, the strategies going to lead us into the future? And so we entered into an 18-month process, not by plan, it just, it just ended up being that long. An 18-month journey where we as a leadership team and as, as elders, we began to seek the Lord. What is your vision? What are the values you've written on our heart? What are the key strategies? And so we, we read books and we had discussions and we shared our hearts and we prayed and we listened to God and we wordsmithed. And at the end of that 18-month process, we, we came up with what we believe God was giving us is this is the vision. Here are the seven core values. Here are the key strategies. And so if you were here back then, you may recognize this. Remember what you saw on the screen. In, in the winter of 2009, I shared our vision, our values, and our strategies over a 15-week series called The Movement at Rocky Peak. And of course, the heart of that vision was to unleash a movement of what? Passionate. And so it's become so part of our church, we all know that. But then it was new. Then it was brand new. It was a, a new vision and a new kind of vision. And so we took 15 weeks to unpack every line, every phrase of that vision, pursuing God and loving people and serving sacrificially, sharing Christ. What does it look like to be a passionate Christ follower? We took the time to lay out our seven core values and to walk through every week, one week on each value. We talked about key strategies. And so in this series... We are not going to be going back and taking the time to go deep on each one of those phrases, each one of those values, 
But what I do want to do in this series, what I believe God's put on my heart to do, is to go back to that vision, those values, and strategies, and to helicopter down on key parts of the vision, key parts of the values, key parts of the strategy that we believe over the last 18 months God has been downloading to us. It's time to share them with you, all right? So this is a key time in our history. It's a time of looking back and giving thanks. It's a time of saying, God, what does it look like to listen and follow as you chart a course into our future? And so to get at this today, I want to, uh, I want to go to a section on your note sheet called Transformation, the Vision of Jesus. And I want to start today with two passages that in my mind are absolutely critical to understanding the vision of Jesus for your life, my life, and for our church. Now, the first passage is very famous. We're in, we're in the, uh, right now we're in the midst of a longer series, we're taking a break from this, called Unfiltered, where we're studying the life and teaching of Jesus. We're using the book of Matthew as our guide. And so we've been in this series, and so we're going to jump today to the very last verses in the book of Matthew. So if you have your Bibles, you have your apps, let's go to Matthew chapter 28. Now, the downside of this passage is this passage is way too famous, right? And you say, well, how can a passage in the Bible be way too famous? Well, what I found is that when any passage in the Bible becomes what I call too famous, we tend to no longer read it because we think we know it. And so it makes great wall plaques and great cards at the uh, Christian bookstore, and it makes great like screensavers, uh, but we no longer read it, and therefore we miss the obvious. This is one of those important passages in the life and teaching of Jesus that spells out his vision, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to be part of his movement, and what I want to challenge you to, whether you're here or over in the ridge right now, I want to challenge you, if you're a long-time follower of Jesus, will you please stay with me for the next 10 minutes? Because you're, you're going to be so tempted to go, like, oh, I know that. I heard that. I know that. What's up on my phone? Let me check out. Well, here, I got some email here. So I want you to stick with me, all right? No texting, no, no social media. No, like, uh, Michael's sharing this boring verse I've heard a million times. All right, so Matthew 28, this, this passage is so famous, it even has its own title, right? So Matthew 28, the last three verses, 18 through 20, what do we call these verses? The Great Commission. Thank you, longtime Jesus followers. All right, now, so let's unpack them, okay, because I promise you this is going to challenge you. I don't care who we are, this is going to challenge you. So verse 18, so Jesus, of course, he's resurrected earlier in the chapter. It's been 40 days he's been with them, but now he's getting ready to leave. And he says, uh, Jesus came to them, his followers, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, this is where we initially, as longtime Christ followers, begin to check out. Because this is like Bible language. Some of you memorize this when you were children. You've never really thought about even what he's saying, but if you're brand new to this, you almost have an advantage right now. But what Jesus is saying, as I am now in charge of the universe. Now, I want to unpack this. I want to take some time to unpack. So what Jesus is saying is, by virtue of his death for our race, for the sins of our race, 
He has conquered sin, the power of sin, and the consequences of sin, which is death. And he has risen from the dead, and so now he is the promised seed of Adam that was, was promised that would come that would free our race. So remember, in Genesis 1, we were created to rule. We were created to rule over creation, the first kings, the first queens. We lost that when we followed the enemy. We came under his leadership. Jesus has come to restore the rightful place of our race to rule. And as our representative, as our David against Goliath, so to speak, that as our representative, Jesus is the second Adam. Jesus is the last Adam. Jesus is the son of David. Jesus is the great king of Israel. And by virtue of his death and resurrection, he is now, not in the future, now been crowned king over creation. And so King Jesus now is in charge of all creation. Not in the future. Now. Now you say, but it doesn't look like he's in charge. It is true. He has not taken his power and brought it to bear. He will do that in the future. Right now, he is taking his power and bringing it to bear through his people, and the kingdom is advancing. There will come a day, as in the book of Revelation, when it says the kingdom of our, our God and king has become, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and king. There will be a, come a day when Jesus will exercise and reveal his power, but he has the power, and he's in charge right here and right now. And therefore, Vladimir Putin kneels to King Jesus whether he knows it or not. Donald Trump responds to Jesus Christ whether he knows it or not. The chairman of North Korea bows to Jesus Christ whether he knows it or not. There is a new king in town. And by virtue of his life, death, and resurrection, Psalm 2 has been, the prophecy of Psalm 2 has been Fulfilled. Yahweh says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make all your enemies a footstool under your feet. So Jesus has ascended. He's been crowned king of creation and as leader of the new universe, he is giving us our marching orders. And look what he says. So he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. That means I'm over the whole thing. He says, therefore, here's my first order of my new administration. I want you to go and make what? Now, we're going to come back to that because there's a lot of misconceptions about what it means to be a disciple. But Jesus is going to begin to explain to us what a disciple is right here in this passage. And so he says, go and make disciples of all nations. And he says, this is what you do to make a disciple. The first thing you do is what? You baptize them. So what is baptism? Baptism is an initiation rite into the kingdom of Jesus. Now you say, well, what do you mean? Well, Jesus is king over creation. We just learned that. But most of the world doesn't know that. But when the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to see who Jesus is, we're like, are you kidding me? I report to him. And I'm in trouble. Because I've been rebelling against the kingdom of God my whole life. And I need to be forgiven. And so the first step is we recognize who King Jesus is, and we come and say, we want to be part of your movement. We want to come 
under your leadership. And he says, well, the step you take is you, you're baptized. It's the initiation right into the movement of Jesus. And then we learn later in the New Testament, what does baptism represent? It represents two things. The washing away of our sins, like a spiritual bath. But it also represents our death and burial with Jesus to our old life. So we can rise through the power of his spirit to a whole new life. So this is the first step of what it means to be a disciple. It's someone who comes and recognizes who I am and comes under my leadership and asks for forgiveness. And of course, I will give it. All crimes against the king will be forgiven. Amnesty. And then you, you die to your old life and you come under my leadership. And that leads to number two. This is the second mark of a disciple. He says, well, we're going to baptize him in the name of the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He says, but then we're going to teach them to what? Can we say it again? Teach them to what? Obey. Obey. So he says, the way you start this process of being a disciple is you're you're baptized. You come come under his leadership, and you acknowledge that, and your sins are washed away, and you, you bow the knee, and you die to your old life through the power of the Spirit, and you rise. He says, but then that starts a process, and this process, you're going to learn how to obey. And look what he says. What are you going to obey? You're going to obey, what's the next word? Everything. Catch this. Not some of the things. Not the things I agree with already. Not the things that make sense to me. Not the things that are politically correct in whatever culture I happen to be in. He says, you're going to start this process of learning to obey what? Everything that I've commanded you. Well, like what? Well, like what we're learning in our series, Unfiltered. We're taking a break from that right now, but we've been studying in Matthew. We've been on the Sermon on the Mount, so we've been learning the character of the kingdom, the kind of person that Jesus wants to create and make us to be. When we go back in this series in four weeks, he'll begin to get really specific. What does it look like to be part of his kingdom and to follow him as our king and He's going to talk to us about all kinds of practical things. He's going to talk to us about our anger. He's going to talk to us about the way we approach relationships and conflict in relationships. He's going to talk to us about our sexuality. He's going to talk to us about marriage. He's going to talk to us about integrity. He's going to talk to us about spiritual disciplines like like prayer and fasting. He's going to talk about our money and our finances and generosity. And so, so he says, the what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, to be a disciple, is to come under his leadership, receive his offer of forgiveness, become part of his movement, die to the old, rise to the new, and then begin this process of learning how to follow him and obey everything he taught us. And then he ends this passage by saying, and trust me, I'll be, as you carry out this assignment I'm giving you, I'll be with you every step of the way. Rocky Peak, as you launch into your future, as you make disciples, as you invite people in the movement, I'll be with you every step. You won't be on your own. You don't have to figure out what to do next. I've got a vision. I know your church, and I'll be with you every step of the way. That's the first passage, very famous passage. Now, the second passage, not so famous. In fact, this is actually a passage that, man, I was a pastor 15, 20 years before I even kind of read, I mean, I'm sure I read it, but it never made an impact on me. I think the reason why this passage is, is so uh, kind of non-famous 
is that um, it just kind of it just plumps down in, in a chapter of Jesus' teaching. It doesn't really flow. You know, it's not like really part of long teaching. It's just kind of this jewel, just like this gem just kind of dropped down in the middle. It's easy to miss. It's really interesting because um, I first became aware of this passage through the writings of a, a very famous leader, uh, thinker, uh, philosophy prophet, USC, Christian thinker named Dallas Willard. And so I've often mentioned his name here. What you may not know is that, um, this is crazy, that the first year we were a church, we didn't have a pastor or a permanent place to, to stay. So the first year we were a church back in 77, did not have a pastor, so we went for a whole year without a pastor. And so they needed someone to come in and teach on the weekend services, not to serve as pastor, but just to teach. And guess who they, taught? they asked? This unknown guy named Dallas Willard. That for the first year of this church, Dallas Willard was a teacher. And guess what he taught on the first year? The Sermon on the Mount. And 40 years later, here we are, a critical, uh, critical transition teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. And so, so Dallas was the first person to interest. In fact, I had the privilege later on, after you know, reading stuff, later on I actually uh, got to sit under his teaching uh, as part of my doctoral program at Fuller Seminary. And I got to spend... Some time with him, kind of 25 students, Catholic retreat center for a couple weeks, lived there together, learned together. Uh, and it, was, it was an incredible time. Um, in fact, so much so that when Dallas passed away a few years ago, I'm not sure why, but KKLA, the radio station, called me and asked, can you interview me on the air about the life and teaching of Dallas and your relationship with Dallas? And so, so Dallas has had a, an impact in this church from the beginning, and it's just so cool that here we are at the 40-year celebration I want to look at a passage that Dallas introduced me to. And it was in Luke chapter 6, and I put it there in your note sheet just so that we could save some time, we won't turn there, and it all been in the same translation. But it's a fascinating passage. Like I said, it's easy to miss, but it goes like this, that a student is not above his teacher, not faster, smarter, better, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Now, if you're a longtime person at Rocky Peak, you may recognize this verse because it's something that we come back and touch base with fairly often because of the impact it's had on my life, my understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and his vision and so on. If you, if you are new to Rocky Peak, chances are you, it may be the first time you've seen it. But in this passage, Jesus is laying his vision out for our lives. And what's really interesting, I want to focus on two words or two phrases and unpack them because they're so powerful. The first is this word student. Do you see that there in your note sheet? Circle that word student. This is the word for disciple. In fact, if you were to open up like a Greek concordance and you looked up every time the word disciple is used in either the Gospels or the book of Acts, it would be this word. Um, in, in Greek, it's the word mathetes, and catch this, this is the only time in all the Gospels or all the book of Acts that the word is not translated disciple. And you have to say, well, why not? And I think the reason is, is because the translators are like, people are so confused over what it means to be a disciple, they'll miss the point. So we're going to change the word here. And so in this passage, Jesus is, is kind of laying out his vision, what it means to be his follower. And so in the first century, that the concept of discipleship was very common. So for example, in Israel, there were disciples, and we see this in the Gospels, there were disciples of the Pharisees. 
there were disciples of John the Baptist. So to be a disciple was a generic term. All it meant was to come under the leadership of some group or some leader that you really thought had the path to life. And the whole point of coming under their leadership was to become like them. So, so catch this, it's very different than our thought of education today where you might go and listen to someone, learn from them, but not really live your life like them. In that day, to be a disciple meant you came under a person's leadership and your whole goal was to live all your life like them. Not just to think like them, but to live like them in every part of your life. There was even one saying about you wanted to follow so close to your rabbi that you would carry the dust of his sandals on you. And so Jesus is helping us understand his vision for our life, though, what it means to be, a, uh, to be a disciple of Jesus is to be transformed, to be like Jesus, student like the teacher. The second word that I want to point out, though, is this phrase, fully trained. So that's a word in Greek that's called katartizo, and, and that's a, it, it's a word that means to be restored. Okay, it's to be katartizo, is to be restored, is to be maybe mended, is to be made put right, or to be fixed. So if something's like not quite right and you fix it, now it's katartidzod. So for example, when the disciples were in the boat mending their nets on the Sea of Galilee, that's katartidzo. So something that's not right being made right. You following? So let's put it together. So Jesus says a disciple... He says when he, when he starts following the teacher, the reason is, not, is because he recognizes the teacher is above him or her. The, the reason you follow someone is like, they're ahead of me in this game, and I, I want to learn how to do my life like their life. So the student's not better. You recognize, and he says, so, so when you start following the teacher, you're not like the teacher. You're not mended. You're not repaired. You're not restored. You're not like the teacher. But... The goal is, as you follow the teacher, and you learn to listen and follow them, in the process, you get restored, you get mended, you get fixed, and you become like the teacher. Okay? So let's put these two passages together then. Matthew 28, our, Jesus, this is your assignment, to make disciples, and he kind of told us what that was. And let's take this passage because these two passages, you put them together, you get a pretty clear vision of Jesus' vision for your life, my life, what it means to be part of his movement for the future of this church. So, so Jesus says, what it means to be a disciple is to, to recognize who King Jesus is, to bow the knee, to come under his leadership, to receive his gift of forgiveness, to die with him to your old life, to rise with him to a new life through the power of his spirit and begin a process of obedience, of listening and following. And as we listen and follow, we will go from broken to mended or restored. And we become like our teacher. And now we can join him in his movement to bring the kingdom to all creation under its authority. Are you with me? This is what it means to be. So, so here's what I want. So let's contrast what he's not saying. So for a lot of us, this requires a complete shift of paradigm of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Because many of us have grown up, seen, been part of 
what I call an altar call culture or a decision-based culture. Not a disciple culture, a decision culture. Now, I want to be extremely clear here so I'm not misunderstood. I have nothing against altar calls. And I know that many people have come to Christ through an altar call or through praying a sinner's prayer or by raising their hand, that they've truly come under the leadership of King Jesus and they've started this transformation process and the fruit's been born. There's no question of that. So I have no, no ax to grind. But what I want you to catch is that there were no altar calls in the early church. You may not know this, but there were no altar calls until the 1800s. This is a relatively new phenomenon. And my concern is that as we watch TV evangelists or whatever, we've got the impression that if you just raise your hand or you go forward or you say a prayer, you're in. That's what it means to be a Christian. I prayed the prayer, I'm saved. And often, we've got the impression that to be a follower of Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus, it means basically to say a prayer, to believe certain facts about him at a certain level, and that therefore, we're in. And how we live or what happens between now and heaven, not really so important. We just want to get saved so we can go to heaven. Are you with me? There's what I want you to catch. I'm not so much saying that's wrong as it's woefully incomplete. That Jesus' vision for our life is radical transformation. And you see it on every page of the New Testament. We're to be, in the words of Paul, recreated to be in the image of our creator. We're to be transformed in his image to be like Jesus. Over and over again. You see this again. That what happens is when a man or woman comes to Jesus, they recognize who Jesus is, they bow to him as king and lord and leader of their life, they ask him to forgive us of all crimes against your kingdom, to send your Holy Spirit to raise me from the dead so I can die with you to my old life, rise with you to a new life, so I can learn how to obey you in every area of my life and be transformed to become like you so I could join you in your mission of bringing the kingdom into all creation with the news that Jesus is king and this is what it looks like to live in his kingdom. Amen? Amen. And so this leads us into a very important question right here at the beginning of this series. And I put it there on your note sheet. There's a section called transformation, one big question. And here it is, a very simple question. But the question is, what's your vision? The question, what is your vision for your life? What does it mean to you to be a follower of Jesus? So for example, if someone came to you, a friend of you came to you and said, you know what, I've been searching out this God thing. I'm trying to figure out what's right, what's wrong. I've been studying different religions. I've been studying Buddhism. I've been studying Islam. I've been studying, uh, uh, I've been studying kind of new, some new age things. I've been following kind of some, some Wiccans I know. And I'm, I'm just checking it out. I'm trying to figure this thing out. I'm, I'm kind of hungry for God, but I want to know the truth. And so I'm not just studying this stuff. I'm actually 
talking with people that I know personally that, that subscribe to this, you know, and so I've, I've talked to some people that are Jews, and I've talked to some people that are Muslims, and, and, I, and so, but you're the only Christian I know who takes it seriously. Like, I know some people have called themselves Christians, but obviously they're kind of not doing it, but you're serious. You, you go to that church. I, I know you love your church, and you're in that small group. I've heard you talk about that, and I can tell you take this seriously. So could you tell me what does it mean to be a Christian? Like, like what, is, what is sort of like the Jesus vision? Like, what's it all about? My question is, if someone were to ask you that, what would be your answer? And here's what I want to suggest. If it's anything less than including not only the message of his death and resurrection and our forgiveness, but it also includes his vision for our lives of radical transformation and joining him in his mission that we are short-selling them on the message. And so I want to ask you, what is your vision? Because I honestly believe this, that for many of us, we have bought into an inadequate paradigm. And if we don't know the target, if we're not clear on what we're shooting for, we will never hit it. God's vision for your life and my, it's not just to get saved and live a little better life and go to church. That's not it. And if that's our vision, it is way too small. The vision is that we meet Jesus, we come under his leadership, and we begin a transformation process that as we listen and follow his teaching and learn to obey, we are transformed. And you say, well, what does that look like? What do you mean by becoming like Jesus? Like in what areas? And I'd say pretty much every area. You know, like what, how would Jesus approach your marriage right now if he were in it? How would Jesus raise your kids if we put them in that situation? How would Jesus approach your career? How would he approach your finances? If you're single, how would he approach your dating? That the goal is total transformation, attitudes, actions, reactions, emotions, perspectives, values, characters, priorities. That Jesus wants to change us radically, that we would rise to him to a new life and then go out and change the world. Amen? And so I want, as we start this series, I want to ask you, what is your vision? Do you need to go through a major paradigm shift? as to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. What we're going to do right now is we're going to go into a time of worship. We're going to talk about King Jesus and sing about him. One of the things we want to do in this series is look back at what God's done in our church and celebrate and thank God for his incredible goodness to us. We want to look forward and ask for his leadership, his blessing, as we chart a course to the future. And so if you would stand with me during this time, I'm going to lead us into a time of prayer uh, we're going to worship, and then in the midst of worship, we've asked three people who've been part of Rocky Peak for different lengths of time to come and pray and to thank God for what he's done, ask him to lead us into our future. Let's pray together. God, we're just so thankful to be here at the start of this series. We're so thankful for what you're doing in our church, what you're doing in our lives, 
And Lord, we don't want to settle for anything less. We don't want those boring lives. We want lives of radical transformation. We know it comes one step at a time, but we know it comes as we listen and follow. And so as we celebrate your goodness, as we celebrate your rule, that all authority on heaven and earth has come under your leadership. You are the king. We pray you'd meet us now in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. And every day of our lives, we'll worship you. You know, at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. That we would give ourselves, all of ourselves, back to him from whom all things came is an act of worship. As Paul says in Romans 12, that we would present our bodies as living sacrifices, our lives, which is the ultimate act of worship. That we would not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, there's our word, by the renewing of our minds, that we might experience the will of God, what is good, true, perfect. That's his vision. His vision for this church is that we'd be people that are being transformed by the power of Jesus as we come under his leadership. We salute him as our king. We come under him. We swear, pledge allegiance to him as our leader. We bow under him. We receive that gift of forgiveness. We die with him to the old. We rise with him to the new that day by day and week by week, we're learning how to obey everything he taught. And as a result, we are being transformed from the inside out by the work of his spirit that we might become students like the teacher. Amen? Amen. And then we join him in his kingdom mission of going out and making other disciples with the good news there is a new king in town. The kingdom has come and you can be a part too. You can experience the power of the coming kingdom even here and now through a relationship with the king. And that's his vision. His vision for your life is a vision for my life. It's the vision for all our lives. You understand this? There isn't multiple visions. There is one vision. There's one vision for you. There's one vision for me. And that's we be transformed. If it's not true for me, it's not true for you. And if it's not true for you, it's not true for me. It's either true or it isn't true. This is his vision. And this is what he's called us to do and as a church to bring this message of life-changing transformation through a relationship with the king where we join him in his mission to bring the kingdom of the heavens on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? Amen. 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 May the Lord be with you this week as you continue your process of transformation. As you go from tadpole to frog, as you go from caterpillar to butterfly, may this be a week. And next week, come on back, and I'm going to talk about transformation and the hedgehog. And you've got to be here to see what that's about. God bless you guys. We'll see you later.